The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody. Help! Not just anybody. Help! You know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and I'm your host. I am a physician trained in Britain, living in Canada, and who's worked in the U.S., Since retiring from medical practice, I've become an activist for family caregiving, which explains the name of the show, Family Caregivers Unite. Our topic today is drug reform and family caregivers. Now, in talking about drug reform, what drugs mean for us is prescription medications and not illegal drugs, nor over-the-counters, nor herbals. Now, why we're talking about these things is because we know that Family caregivers face financial challenges arising from many costs of caring for family members with serious or long-term health conditions. Drug plans help ensure that one of the financial challenges family caregivers don't have to face is the cost of prescription medication. So, why do we need to talk about drug reform? Well, to answer this question, I'm pleased to welcome two guests, Mark Keeley and Bill Smith. Now, first of all, Mark, he's chief advocate of Keeley and Associates. He's a graduate of the University of Waterloo in Ontario, and he was educated at Kent State University in Ohio. He's a lead voice in North America on health reform, integrated health and drug benefit plan enhancement, and healthcare policy. He's involved in various organizations and causes for patient advocacy. He served as the CEO of one of Canada's largest pharmacy organization. He's advocated for the integrity of drug supply between Canada and the United States. He was the first co-chair of the Pharmacy Council in Ontario, which led to expansion of practice opportunities for pharmacists in an integrated health system. He's also served as a senior executive in the Canadian Crown Corporation working in Canada, USA, and elsewhere. Now, Bill, Bill Smith serves as managing director of NSI's Healthcare Practice Group. Most recently, he was vice president of U.S. Public Affairs and Policies for the world's largest pharmaceutical company, Pfizer, Inc., where he led the policy, government relations, alliance development, medical advocacy, and public affairs team to support the company's $23 billion U.S. commercial business. Before working for Bill held various positions throughout government, including assistant chief of staff for two Massachusetts governors. And at the federal level, he served as chief of staff, deputy chief of staff, and director of public affairs for the Office of National Drug Control Policy, where he was closely involved in developing the president's 
National Drug Control Strategy and Communications Plan. So welcome to the show, Mark and Bill. Delighted to be here, Doctor. Great. I'm here, Doctor. Thank you. Good. Now, first, first question for Mark. Tell us a bit more about your career and how actually you became interested in drug reform. Well, I, I, first of all, let me thank you for that introduction. It was very thorough and comprehensive. What I can tell your listeners, though, um, a bit more about what you had suggested about me is that I had spent a good number of years in Ottawa and in uh, provincial legislatures in Canada on uh, working on public policy with a former prime minister and a former premier in the province of Ontario. One of the things that, that uh, happens when you um, have that kind of a, an experience is that it, it sort of uh, permits you to go on in your career. And I was a hospital administrator for about 10 years and left that to, uh, to work in a crown corporation that you had identified. And then I was appointed in the early 2000s to be the CEO of the Ontario Pharmacists Association in uh, Canada. One of the things that was sort of a mandate by the government at the time was to look at how we were going to, I'm going to say, reform the drug system in Canada that brought it also in line with uh, sort of uh, <clears throat> making sure that we had cost-effectiveness going forward in the future. So I, I, I put that into a position where, in effect, we uh, introduced in Ontario a very comprehensive bill to uh, limit the, the price and the, um, uh, the price of generic medications and also in the province of Quebec, the same thing. And that sort of spawned a, a bit of a cottage industry for us here. And you so uh, rightly said about our, our company, KNA and the kind of patient advocacy we're doing right now. I speak all over the world on uh, drug reform and its impact on uh, not only on plans, but on, on patients. And uh, the, whole, the whole sort of gist of what we do is to make sure that there's cost effectiveness and sustainability for the future. Right. Bill, same question to you. Tell us more about your career and how you became interested in drug reform. Well, in one of those coincidences of life, I've worked in drug policy area for virtually my entire professional career. Uh, it, it, it's strange. I, I, the only pill I take every morning is a vitamin pill, but I've worked on both illegal drugs when I was at the White House, but now the topic of this show is, is legal prescription pharmaceuticals. Uh, I, I worked on those, I've been working on those for the past 15 years or so, uh, largely at Pfizer. Uh, and it's a very interesting problem for me. Uh, I've, I've been uh, intellectually engaged by this topic because you have this enormously expensive industry, uh, of the drug industry, which I worked in, where it costs $800 million or a billion dollars to get a drug to market. If you go through all the research and the clinical trials, you finally get the drug on the market. That process is enormously expensive. Then it is a very difficult uh, challenge to find ways to make those prescription drugs affordable and widely used. And, and the caregivers out there, I'm sure, are sympathizing with this. How do you construct a policy or a health reform system uh, or a drug benefit, insurance benefit, or government program where these technologies, these new technologies that have been invented in the laboratory that have taken 10 or 15 years to get to market, how do you make them widely available and affordable for the average patient? Quite and I've challenge. just been very interested in this. Let's go back to Mark. Why should Canadian family caregivers and the family members they're caring for, and for that matter all Canadians, be interested in drug reform? Well, well as I think about your question, I, I'd answer it this way. I, I think there are some great virtues to the Canadian healthcare system that caregivers and your listeners should, um, should understand. We have a very unique system worldwide. 
Canada enjoys a publicly funded system that's really privately delivered. So physicians uh, are not necessarily employees of the system or it's not a socialist uh, system like one would think uh, compared to, say, the national health system in the U.K. or China or those kinds of things. This is a very unique, very um, accessible and universally accessible uh, system here. The issue as it relates to uh, prescription drugs, as you had uh, asked, is, in short, sustainability. In the case of seniors and caregivers, we want to make sure that um, we, we, we want to and we need to make sure that uh, uh, chronic and long-term effective uh, uh, drugs are available at a price, as Bill had said earlier on, that are not out of reach. And so we have to do everything we can to make it possible so that uh, if we do, we, we should save money in those kinds of, of uh, plans and that system and reinvest the savings in that into more effective and innovative therapies that cost a lot more money. And we can get into that later on in this discussion. But I think for family caregivers, this is a very tough issue. And uh, it's a tough issue because it's very ubiquitous when you talk about prescription medications. And also, it's very expensive. Right. Bill, same question. Why should American family caregivers, the family members they're caring for, and, and all Americans, be interested in drug reform? No? Uh, this is a the hugely important question, and, and it's not just Americans, it's Canadians and, and people everywhere, patients everywhere. Uh, you know, if you went to the doctor 75 years ago, uh, the doctor would examine you and poke and prod you and do all sorts of things to try to figure out what's wrong, but chances are you wouldn't have left the doctor's office with a prescription. Uh, you wouldn't have gone down to the pharmacy. There were a couple drugs around, but not very many. In 2010 or 2011, if you go to a, on a doctor's visit, uh, chances are you're going to leave with a prescription for whatever your ailment is, high blood pressure, a strep throat, ear infection. Uh, you go down the list. Prescriptions now are ubiquitous. Uh, in the U.S. last year, 2010, there were 4 billion prescriptions filled for a country of 300 million people. So there's a lot of people leaving doctor's offices with prescriptions. And it, therefore, drug reform is important because if you don't have access to prescription medicine, you don't have access to modern health technology. You just don't have it. That's, that drugs are part and parcel now of the uh, healthcare, the modern healthcare system. And without a benefit or an insurance program or a government program that gives you access to those affordable drugs, you're, 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 you may be living in, in a medical system that's 30 or 40 years old because you don't have access to the latest medication. So it's an enormously important question uh, on how to make these available for caregivers and their patients. I'm just going to go back to Mark briefly. Um, Canadians and the system in Canada, um, yeah, we are worried that it's going to turn into a socialist system. But on the other hand, we're also worried, aren't we, about the quality of the system. Would you just like to say brief, briefly for our international audience what the concerns are about the Canadian healthcare system as it now is? Well, I mean, I'm a big champion of our system. I think our system is great, as I said earlier on. I think it's one of the most unique systems in the world. The issue, though, is there's this threat um, with, um, I'm going to say, uh, private sector interests to, to say, let's change the system to allow more private sector care. I would have a real problem with that, and uh, I don't want to take the, the, the topic off, uh, off track here, but I, I would say that as it relates to... Um, uh, approvals for medications as it relates to 
the standards of care, I think having uh, both a provincial and national perspective like we do are good things, and I don't want to see those compromised by any kind of uh, private sector um, interests that would permeate that kind of decision-making. Got it. Bill, just in a minute, what are the concerns that um, Americans have about the U.S. healthcare system? Hello? Yes. Oh, Bill, um, I'm yes. just asking you, and it's a going to have to be listen i'm going to defer this into the next one because what i was going to ask you was what are the concerns are that um americans have about the u.s healthcare system um mark's been describing some of the concerns here just very quickly what very would be quickly, the, top the, of the biggest issue is cost how can I afford my private insurance coverage? Will I lose my private insurance coverage? Uh, there's a health care reform bill that's that passed recently and it was signed into law. Largely doesn't take effect until 2014, and people are very wary about whether that's going to solve the cost issue. Although we can talk later, I think on the drug the drug cost issue has evolved and, and is less important than it was recently. But generally, cost issues, affording insurance premiums, and having access to coverage are the biggest concerns of Americans. Right. And I think it's fair to say to both of you that cost is a problem everywhere, isn't it, with healthcare systems? Yes. They get more sophisticated as yes. um, healthcare, you know, professionals like I used to be get paid more as um, not just drug costs, but the whole technology cost as the cost of being housed in some kind of facility. All of those are things which are challenging healthcare systems. So the question of where drug costs fit into these, these big concerns is actually fundamentally important, and I think you've both made that very clear. Now, we are going to um, take a short break, um, and when we come back, we're going to be looking more at the question of what the drugs are. So let's pay the rent, take the short break, um, this is Dr. Gordon Averley, and my guests are Mark Keeley and Bill Smith. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please stay with us. We're coming back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. one 472 5787 That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. To perform at your maximum potential, you need to have all aspects of your life working properly. On Mind, Brain, and Body, Dr. Michael John Kell will bring you honest, open discussions concerning your physical, mental, and financial health. If you're ready to find purpose and meaning in your life, tune in to Mind, Brain, and Body every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific. Mind, Brain, and Body on Voice America Health and Wellness. Radio dedicated to your health, wealth, wisdom, and purpose. If you have a loved one that is undergoing treatment for substance abuse or mental illness, you owe it to them and yourself to tune in to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. This compassionate and educational talk show will help you help those that you love by better understanding their condition and their personal recovery process. Tune in every Monday at 12 noon Pacific time to One Hour at a Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Recovery begins this hour. 
Zoom Leadership. It's the big picture issues of the day, up close and personal capabilities of leadership, and a desirable future of constant renewal. Zoom Leadership. It's the economic crisis made clear, patterns and perspectives of leadership, and the importance of changing the way we pursue our future. Join host John Schmidt every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time. Zoom Leadership. An inside look at what's really going on in business, government, and civil society. Tune in every week on the Voice America Business Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at M-Y-M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Mark Keeley and Bill Smith. Our topic is drug reform and family caregivers. Now, let's talk about the main types of drugs and their differences in costs and their differences medically. So, Mark, starting with you, what are generic drugs? And why are they important in modern healthcare? Huh? I, I, I think that I think that's a great question, and thank and uh, thanks for the opportunity to define this because I think uh, a lot of people have um, sort of a mixed understanding of what it means when you talk about generic drugs. Generics, uh, generic drugs are really I'm going to just say it like this in layman's terms: they're knockoffs of the original uh, branded medication, and it's a it's an allowable knockoff because the branded medication it goes off patent and uh, generic uh, medications are allowed to be manufactured by generic uh, companies. In Canada, for example, there are about eight or nine, I think about maybe up to 11 generic manufacturers, and they make the same drug. If, For example, if there's a patent medication like uh, Lipitor, the um, generic version of that is called atorvastatin. And uh, those 11 uh, manufacturers would manufacture this atorvastatin, and frankly, the medication is... Uh, uh, the same as the branded drug, but it's substantially cheaper. And those are good when, in the context of a modern healthcare system, largely because uh, medications uh, treat chronic illnesses to a large degree. And so if uh, the majority of the cases for patients taking medications because they have a chronic illness, you want to have the, dr- the cost of the drug as cheap as possible. And, uh, I mean, I, I don't want to get into that whole argument about uh, quality or, or uh, or, or virtue, but uh, it's exactly the same medication. It's just uh, manufactured a heck of a lot cheaper than the, the, the patented medication that goes off patent. Fair enough. Now, Bill, brand drugs, what are those, and why are they important in modern healthcare? Well, brand drugs are, <clears throat> you know, Doctor, it might be helpful actually to talk for one minute just about how a drug is discovered. So uh, typically a drug is discovered in a university or a pharmaceutical company laboratory where a scientist finds a molecule that when put into the human body helps treat a disease. And when they, when they discover a molecule like that, they put a patent on it with the government, meaning that they are the sole inventor of this molecule and nobody else has the right to sell that molecule for an ex- a certain period. In the United States, that's 20 years. So that's a branded drug. It's been discovered, it, a patent has been put on it, and the company has the exclusive right to sell it for a certain period. When that period ends, 
generic drug companies are allowed to copy that molecule exactly. They actually get access to the patent documents, and they can see how the molecule is formed, and they can copy that medicine exactly and sell it as a generic drug. So why are brand name drugs important? Well, they're important because they're the newest drugs. They're the ones that have been discovered. They're not copies of other older drugs. They are the new drugs. Now, I'm, I'm not a person who says everything that's new is always better. You know, sometimes you have an old pickup truck that will never break down, and it's better than the new pickup trucks that are coming out. But as a general matter, things that are newer are incrementally better than things that, particularly in technology, that, than older things. So the, the pickup trucks now might have side airbags or a navigation system that they didn't have five years ago, and it's probably a little better. And the same is true in medicines. Drug companies bring medicines to market that are incrementally better than the older medicines, and they might have less side effects. They might be slightly more effective. And that's the reason branded drugs are important, because they're the latest technology. And now they cause controversy because in that monopoly period when there's only one company selling it, that company can raise that price and have a, make that medication very expensive, which causes political and all sorts of any challenges for caregivers, rightly so. But they are important because they are the newest and latest technologies, only to be copied later by generics when the cost actually will come down. Right. Very clear. Just one, I want you to just go back on a word. You talked about a molecule in five words or less. What's a molecule? It's just a chemical compound. With most medicines, it's a chemical compound that doesn't exist naturally in the body. The, the drug company or the university might try different shapes and sizes of, of molecules. And, but for some reason, when that, that molecule is injected into the body, it finds its way to a place that helps with a disease. It blocks something or it attaches to something in the, in the body or in the cell that helps the body deal with the disease. Good. Now, Mark, back to you. I want you you've already mentioned this to some extent, but compare the costs of generic drugs with those of brand drugs in Canada and the U.S. and say a little bit more about what really accounts for the differences. Let me, let me, let me go back to um, the, the uh, issue about the difference between brands and generics. It'll help build some context around this. In Canada, for example, we also uh, have a system where uh, we're not compared to the United States on the cost of our brand drugs. We're compared to uh, other countries that have a similar uh, population size. Uh, that noted, you know, Canada is compared to New Zealand and Sweden, uh, Scandinavian countries, and uh, those kinds, of South Africa, etc. When a brand drug loses its patent in Canada after 20 years, the first generic that comes to the market that's being allowed to that is allowed to be manufactured is manufactured at a price of 70% of the cost of the brand drug and they enjoy that uh, generic price for 90 days and then uh, it's a free for all and everybody uh, who wants to manufacture that molecule uh, generic at the generic price has a has a price in Canada of 63% of the brand till the cows come home well, the problem is that uh, generic manufacturers in Canada have enjoyed this kind of a program for years and years and years, and frankly, they have a license to print money, but it's a good thing because the uh, cost has come down. But what's happened in drug reform in this country, you talk about uh, comparing the cost of generics and brands in Canada, uh, it's been very, very um, widely viewed in this country that our generic drug prices are way too high. I'll just use this um, as a as sort of a, an opening salvo for why drug reform took place in Canada. 
our our country um, has 90% higher generic drug prices than the United States. And uh, that's a very large problem for people, especially when you're trying to use generic drugs as a cost-effectiveness tool uh, for um, modern health care programs. So, in effect, uh, the, the, the difference between uh, branded, uh, excuse me, uh, generic drugs in Canada and generic drugs in the U.S. is a very large gap and a very large problem. Now, there's a 10, I'm going to say, we always use the 10 times rule between Canada and the United States as it relates to our population. So you can't say we should have sort of uh, standardized pricing on generic drug pricing between Canada and the United States because we don't have the volume that they do in the United States. But we could lower the price of generics a heck of a lot more than that 63% of the brand price. And frankly, that's what's occurred in many of the provincial legislatures in this country to lower by regulation the price of a generic drug. And in some cases, to the next three years, doctor, we're looking at lowering the price of generics to 25% of the brand. Now, that's still a problem because I would say uh, what accounts for the differences is the fact that uh, the prices are set for brand drugs at the uh, federal level and the price by regulation for generics is set by the provinces. So you have differing drug prices for generics across the country as well. Very good in the sense of that's an issue that I think is becoming very clear. Now, I want to switch to Bill about the medical differences. Bill, you'd already said brand drugs are new and there are advances, but let's focus on the medical differences as viewed by the prescribing doctor and the patient. That is to say, when is it absolutely essential, in your view, what generalities can you make? to go for the brand drug, regardless of the price differential, rather than the generic? What do you say to that, Bill? Yes, that's a very, very good question. Um, because if, one in, if a patient were to insist on a brand drug without a medical reason, they'll end up paying more for that, and that, that makes no sense. In most all cases, a generic drug is identical to a branded drug. Um, uh, generic companies have to copy the molecule and have to copy the branded medicine almost exactly, precisely. And that is regulated in the United States by the Food and Drug Administration very carefully. The generic company has to file all sorts of documents to prove that their medicine is going to be identical, uh, their manufacturing facilities are inspected, and there's a very, very intense regulatory process to make sure that the drugs are very as close to identical as, as humanly possible. However, so in most cases, to, to, the difference between a brand and a generic shouldn't be important in a patient's mind. They should go for what, what's the least expensive for them, and chances are if they were on the branded drug and it lowered their cholesterol 20%, the generic is going to do the identical. There are a few disease areas, and epilepsy comes to mind, doctor, you may have some more off the top of your head, where the slightest, slightest difference uh, in the, the the drug between the brand and even the dye that goes into the drug, not even the, the active ingredient itself, the slightest difference can be extraordinarily important. Even a 1% difference or less could make a difference for an epilepsy patient. So epilepsy patients, if they've been stable on a branded drug for a long time and they haven't had seizures, they might be reluctant to switch to a generic drug. 
So uh, the, the best advice I have for caregivers is if a pharmacy wants to switch a patient from a, wants to switch your, your patient or yourself from a, a branded drug to a generic, talk to the pharmacist about it. If you're not reassured, talk to the, your physician about it and make sure you're not in one of these rare categories where it's going to make a difference. But overall, the medical differences are, don't, are, are not important between a branded and a generic in most disease categories. So what we're really saying is that this is a, a matter for discussion, but it doesn't automatically follow that the brand is the best choice, but in specific circumstances that the physician certainly should know about and the pharmacist should know about, it may be important to stay with the, to stay with the brand or to, uh, uh, to select the brand. Have I summarized Absolutely. you properly? Absolutely correct, yes. Okay, great. Now, it is time for us to take the break. We do have to pay the rent. This is Dr. Gordon Avo. My guests are Mark Keeley and Bill Smith. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stay tuned. We're coming back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Each week, take a visit inside the locker room of your favorite sport with Dez Clark. Paul Fresh Clark and Lester Scudder Davis as they bring you sportsmanlike conduct. As a current player, Des Clark can bring you inside the sports world like nobody can. His co-hosts represent the fans of the sports world. With both points of view on the table, it becomes an engaging and entertaining program to say the least. Sportsmanlike conduct can be heard Tuesdays, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. What would you do if you knew that you could not fail? The Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile is a radio forum for some of the world's most influential people in the fields of health, wellness, and human potential. Dr. Pat brings together and introduces visionary scientists and futurists, environmentalists, educators, business leaders, inventors, filmmakers, authors, artists, mystics, and healers who inspire and support individual and collective growth and positive cultural shifts. This award-winning radio show empowers the listening community to be the change they want to see in the world. Tune in every Thursday. Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific for the Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile, radio to thrive by. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time, the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at mymonami.com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back 
to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Mark Keeley and Bill Smith. Our topic is drug reform and family caregivers. So let's now talk about the costs of drugs to patients and drug plans uh, who are paying for these drugs for patients and therefore families. Mark, first of all, how do drug plans actually work for Canadian patients and are there any gaps in these plans in Canada? But in its simplest terms, um, as I mentioned at the outset when we first talked in the, in the first segment, Canada has a universally accessible health care system, so for all intents and purposes, everyone in this country is covered in the health program. Um, and if there, are, if there are gaps, I'll talk about those in a second. But for drug plans, ostensibly, there's, um, there are, I'm going to say there's a federal plan, and the federal plan really covers off our armed forces, uh, First Nations and others that fall under uh, that purview. Uh, they call that the non-insured health benefits program, and that has a drug pr- a drug plan. And then each of the provinces has a drug plan for uh, people who are over the age of 65 and those who fall under an economic um, means test uh, below a certain amount of money, um, and uh, they're covered under the program as well. For the remainder across the country, there are really what they call private payer plans, much uh, like any insurance scheme that you'd see anywhere else in the world. Uh, the way drug plans work, though, for in Canada and similar places too, doctor, is that a drug plan or a drug program looks at a menu of drugs that it will reimburse. They call that a formulary, and the formulary, for all intents and purposes, says this is how much money uh, we've collected, here's what we will reimburse for a prescription medication that's dispensed to a patient, and um, uh, for th- that, that sort of uh, looks at um, making sure that, uh, that the most effective, uh, most effective molecules or the most effective therapies are on that formulary. Sometimes that doesn't work. Sometimes they look at the cost of that and they, they limit the accessibility of those medications. But you talk about gaps, and I think one of the biggest, um, I'm going to say, uh, gaps that you see from my perspective are those who fall through the cracks, who, who are, for, what we, for all intents and purposes in this country, what we call cash-paying customers. And because they're cash-paying customers, they're usually uh, having to pay out of their pockets for these kinds of things, and the costs could be horrendous. And um, that's a gap that we have. There's another gap, and I, I think it links back to my comments on the formularies. And if uh, private payer plans, you know, for those who are employed, there's an issue with respect to the access to therapies. Oftentimes they, they, they link cost to the accessibility of those therapies, and if it's too costly, they don't put them on, and that becomes a very problematic issue. Uh, Bill talked about uh, epilepsy earlier on, and there are some other very expensive drugs for patients who have Fabry's disease, for example. It's about a $200,000 a year treatment. And if it's not available on a formulary, it's catastrophic. And so the other gap that we have in this country is uh, what we would call drug coverage for catastrophes like that. And uh, we've been working very closely with the federal government and a lot of provincial governments in our firm to get a catastrophic drug coverage program up and running in this country so that those kinds of things are avoided. Mark, I'm going to stop you there because we will come back to that, but I want to bring Bill in now with the same question. How did drug plans work for American patients, and are there any gaps in the American system? 
Yes, the, the U.S. system uh, is slightly different than the Canadian system. It, it's a patchwork of government programs and private insurance, but it's a pretty good patchwork um, that covers important groups of patients, the most important groups of patients, I think, who really need pharmaceutical coverage. And, and those groups, I think, would fall into two general categories, low-income people, people who couldn't afford medicine because they, they have very low incomes, and there's a federal-state program, combined program called Medicaid that has a very generous drug benefit for people at the low-income level. And the second group that, that uh, is, is very important having access to prescription drugs are, of course, senior citizens. Now, this was a major gap in the United States prior to 2006 when the federal Medicare program, which covers health care costs for senior citizens, did not cover prescription drugs. But that was remedied in, the, remedied in 2006, and uh, they passed a law providing coverage, and it's somewhat generous coverage for senior citizens. So those two very important groups are now covered. That's about 30%, a little more of the population are in those two government programs. Then about 60% of the U.S. population has coverage through private insurance, uh, most of them through their employer. And that, that coverage can be good. If you work for a large corporation, it can be very generous. If you work for a smaller business or you're buying a plan for yourself or if you're self-unemployed, the coverage may not be as, as good. Um, so if I had to identify gaps in the U.S. system, I would say there's about 6% in the U.S. that pay cash, as Mark was referring to in Canada. It's about 6% of the population in the U.S. pay cash. A good portion of that population of 6% really doesn't need generous coverage. They're healthy or young, and they might need an antibiotic for a, a, a finger infection or something once in a while, but they don't need it. But there might be 1% or 2% of that 6% population that gets very sick and they're paying cash, and that is a gap in coverage. Now, that's due to be remedied by the health care law that President Obama signed into law a few years ago, and there, there would be more access to universal coverage when that law takes effect. The other, the other gap, I would say, might, would fall into the commercial insurance, private insurance world for those folks who might get their, as I said, get their coverage through small business or an individual policy where they have very high co-pays and very high deductibles. Uh, and their coverage is, is not quite as generous a safety net. Uh, in those situations, if you ended up with very high drug costs, you might have, you might have difficulty. Now, in the past, uh, some of these plans didn't have catastrophic coverage. You could reach a cap in spending of $500,000 or something, and your insurance would be cut off. The, the law President Obama signed into effect made that illegal, so uh, there, there can't be any caps in the amount of coverage you have. So the catastrophic problem is covered, but I think there still may be a gap for some folks who have very high copays and deductibles in some of these plans that, uh, uh, that are, have less generous benefits. So the cash payers and I think the high copay um, health insurance plan, private health insurance plans would probably be the two gaps that I would point to. Right. Mark, you were talking about a gap in Canada over the catastrophic situation, mm -hmm. drug situation. Please say how that you, you're working on it. Say how that gap should be closed in Canada. Well, what, what, one of the things that's going to happen in this country, I'm going to say in the next two to three years, is a, is a health accord signed by all of the provinces and territories and the federal government. And for the first time in um, the history of any health accord between provinces and the federal government, they're going to talk specifically about drugs and the impact and the, uh, the cost of, of uh, prescription medications on those kinds of, uh, of health systems. That is a gap I would uh, suggest to you. Let me use this as a classic example um, about a gap and a big gap where it creates mayhem. 
there's a community in Nova Scotia of about uh, a couple of thousand people, and 200 of those couple of thousand people have been diagnosed with Fabry's disease. It's an autoimmune disease, and it's awful, as you know. And as I said earlier on, the treatment uh, by, uh, by pharmacotherapy is about $200,000 a year. If you put that, um, and, and the majority of those people are, are on the, the provincial drug plan, that could bust a provincial drug plan by virtue of the fact that you have 200 people in a similar province having to, to, to have therapy at $200,000 a year. So, so in order to, to, to um, I'm going to say, to mitigate the risk of that kind of a, of, a, of a gap, one of the things that's being looked at in both Canada and the United States is this issue of pooling, so that if it's a private plan or even the provincial drug plans, they look at putting a, a certain amount of money into a pot so that they could deal with those kinds of catastrophes or those large-scale um, the therapy costs for, for patients in confined areas. This is happening all over the country. We're looking in Canada, for example, with First Nations who have a higher incidence of uh, diabetes. And so as a consequence of that, there's a high cost in the non-insured health benefits program. So a catastrophic drug coverage or a pooling could certainly do that. Okay. Other, other ways to close the gap would be I'm things like... I'm just going like, to stop you, Mark, in, in that because I, we, we are in the time bind, as always. Sure. Things, and I want to ask Bill something, but we will come back to the what needs to be done to get get that particular gap out of the way or closed. Bill, back to generics now. How important are these in helping drug plans to get the best medical value for money? And what opportunities do you see for more help from generics in getting best medical value for money? Bill? Doctor, generics in the, in the United States have proven to be an enormous value um, and are saving billions and billions of dollars in the U.S. healthcare system. Um, there were many new drugs that were invented in the 80s and 90s, drugs which are common now for lowering cholesterol or blood pressure or, uh, or infections, you name it. Uh, so many of those drugs were invented in the 80s and 90s, which means that their patents are expiring during this decade. And as those patents expire in the U.S., the price drops exponentially. It doesn't drop just 70%. In many cases, it'll drop 90% or more. So the percentage of generics that are being prescribed in the U.S., as it grows, that lowers drug costs for health plans and government programs in the United States. And, and that's had a substantially important effect in helping manage costs in the, in the United States. In fact, uh, only five years ago, 60% of the prescriptions in the U.S. were generic. It's now up to 80% and growing. So brands are an increasing shrinking part of the market. I would say that uh, what opportunities do you see for more help? Uh, uh, Mark referenced Fabre's disease, and the treatment for Fabre's disease is what's called a biologic, which is slightly different than a traditional medicine. It's a more complicated molecule. I don't want to get into the chemistry here, but biologics are much more complicated medicines to manufacture because of their complexity. There haven't been, even though it's, it's about a quarter of the spending in the U.S., there haven't been generics uh, made to copy these because they were so hard to manufacture. 
That's been remedied by a recent healthcare law that allows generic companies to eventually start making copies of these expensive biological drugs. So the $200,000 drug for Fabrage disease, that, the price of that drug can come down substantially if generic companies can get into this market and start to make copies of those and, and we get competitive pricing. So that's, that's an opportunity I see for more help. 25% of the market has not had access to generics in, in some of these very complicated biologics for very important diseases. And I think that's going to be a, a very important development if generics can penetrate that market. Right. Now, it is time to take the break again. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guests are Mark Keeley and Bill Smith. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please stay tuned. We're coming back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Do you want to know what's really going on these days? Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at M-Y-M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Mark Keeley and Bill Smith. Our topic is drug reform and family caregivers. Now, let's talk about the drug reforms that you two, Mark and Bill, are wanting to see. So, Bill, first question to you. How can the supply of generics be increased and their costs lowered further across North America? Yes, Dr. Well, I think the situation on generics is, is quite different. I'll let Mark speak to Canada. I know a little bit about it, but I think that the situations on generic drugs are, are different in the two countries. In the United States, generic prices are extremely low. Um, uh, typically, when a, a product goes off patent, within six years, there'll be seven, eight, nine, ten generic companies copying that drug and putting it on the market, and the price competition is fierce. 
which drives the prices in the U.S. for generic drugs down dramatically. Uh, and as I said in the last segment, 80% of the prescriptions in the U.S. are now for generics. So this is lowering costs in the United States very significantly. Now, there has been an issue in the U.S. recently about shortages of certain drugs. The majority of those drugs, generic drugs, have, were oncology drugs, intravenous drugs. It's a complicated issue, but basically the federal government put a price cap on some of these drugs, which weaken the incentives for generic companies to make them. I think it's a fixable problem. The president is working on it. It's a different issue. But I, and I, and, but it's been in the media a lot lately. But as a general matter, that the U.S. market is fiercely competitive. Prices are very low for generics. And, and if I had to give advice to my Canadian brothers, uh, I would say look at the market for in the U.S. for Canadian drugs and try to eliminate the barriers of entry for generic companies to sell drugs in Canada and make the price price competition much more severe. Once you have five or six or seven companies competing for the business, the price tends to come down. Um, and that's something Canada may want to look at and copy in the U.S. There are some things about the American system I'm sure Canadians are not interested in, but that may be one aspect that they have an interest in, given the attention that's been given to generic prices in Canada. Okay. Mark, to lower the healthcare costs or the health system's costs by encouraging generics, what's your prescription for drug reform in Canada? Well, first of all, I think Bill said it really eloquently earlier on that the generics are a, a very important part of a, a drug plan or a drug program. They're, very, uh, they're also very important for lowering costs and the overall system writ large. If you look at Canada just as an example, We've started down a path much similar to what the primary care trust in the United Kingdom has, has done with respect to integrated health. And by virtue of the cost savings by encouraging generics, uh, we've managed to save millions and millions and hundreds of millions of dollars that can be reinvested into integrated health uh, programs so that actually pharmacists can work as a, a health care provider and work alongside physicians and other team members in integrated health settings to deliver on the kind of care that patients want. The patent cliff, as it relates to brand drugs, is over. It's, uh, there really aren't that many blockbuster drugs that are coming onto the marketplace. So generics are really going to become, uh, here, they're going to be here to stay. But I think what we really do need in terms of uh, prescription for drug reform is more predictability in the price here in Canada. And I'm going to say this, and uh, this could be very controversial to some of your listeners, but pharmacy in this country has a, a lot of control, not only in the pricing because they can, they can negotiate directly with the, the generic manufacturers. And uh, that's become a big problem where uh, you, you, we can blame, for all intents and purposes, governments or plans to try to control costs when really the villains, in my opinion, are large retail pharmacies that have created this sort of monopoly on, uh, on setting the standard or the price or uh, generic medications. It's a problem in Canada. Right. Bill, to you, um, politicians and planners, as I've said several times, worry everywhere about costs, what they see as ever-rising costs. Now, taking account of what you've been saying about generics and drug plans and the like, what is the message that you have for U.S. planners and politicians? Bill, your message. Well, Doctor, I, I, I'm actually going to tell a little bit of a policy uh, man bites dog story here because uh, generics have been so successful in the United States uh, and they're so commonplace and they're now 80% of the market. 
I think a politician or a policymaker that's complaining about drug costs in the United States really has is living in the past. Um, drug costs in the United States in 2010 rose about 2%. and was lower than the inflation rate, and that's largely due to the penetration of generics and the expiration of patents on many of the, old, the newer branded drugs. So uh, there are individual drugs, as Mark mentioned, that are enormously expensive. Those are still a problem for caregivers. But as a budget matter, as a general matter, drug costs are not breaking the bank of government programs or insurance companies any longer the way they were 10 years ago when they were growing in double digits. My concern, actually, is that the branded companies now are laying off thousands of people. They're slashing R&D budgets. The company that I work for, Pfizer, just cut their research and development budget by $2 billion dollars because they're not discovering as many new medicines, revenues are way down, thousands and thousands of employees for branded drug companies are being laid off, including scientists. And, and my concern for policymakers is how can we encourage the innovation? Because ultimately, if we don't have the new drugs, we're not going to have the cheaper generics 10 or 15 years from now. So getting those drug laboratories to be healthy again, I, I think, is a very important policy matter. And it's going to be as important a policy matter in the United States as generic war, generics were 10 or 15 years ago. So I think that's very different than Canada, but that's the U.S. advice I would give. Okay. Bill, I have a supplementary for you. You mentioned earlier that there is a little bit of a drug a shortage of rather specialized drugs um, or, or, I don't know, generics. I'm probably not clear about this. but No, they're generic. They're largely generics and largely intravenous drugs. Got it. So, in other words, would it be right to say that the price has fallen so low that there is, uh, in fact, uh, a cause of shortage in the price dropping. Would that be right? I, I don't think so. Um, I, I, would, I wouldn't agree with the, that characterization because I think there were largely two reasons for the shortage. One, the FDA has, has increased ma manufacturing standards very high for the generic makers, and some of the generic makers said so high they're, they're very hard bar to meet, and therefore it's too expensive to start making these, some of these generics again. And second, uh, they've limited price flexibility the federal government has on some of the oncology drugs, which are about 70% of the drugs that are, uh, are, are in a shortage are found in the oncology category. And when the federal government limited the price increases that generic companies could make, that, that reduces the incentives to, to making them, to be honest. Now, nobody wants price gouging, but I think they probably need to tweak that law to have a little more price flexibility. So if a generic manufacturer sees a shortage of a certain drug, they'll have enough of an incentive to retool their manufacturing site and start making that drug. Um, so I, don't, I, I, th I think it's uh, apples and oranges to say that the prices are so low that's creating a shortage. Perfectly uh, fair. Perfectly fair. Now, Mark, in the short time we've got... Uh, left. What's your message to Canadian planners and politicians overall about the kind of things we've been talking about? Well, your, your Canadian listeners aren't going to like this response, but you know, we tend to have in Canada a superiority complex when it relates to our health care system. But my, uh, my comment to planners and to politicians would be, why don't we rip a page out of the book from the United States? In, Ca in Canada, we're laggards on drug reform. I don't think there's a politician in this country that has a complex or a comprehensive understanding about the, um, uh, the issue of drugs and drug reform and their costs to the degree that would be you know, acceptable to people who are subject matter experts. 
I'd also say to planners, I still think we're not we're not looking at uh, we're not parsing this down to uh, the absolute issue, and the absolute issue is the cost of a generic drug. Got it. You know, it costs pennies to manufacture. We're selling them at way too high a price in this country. Very very interesting point. Now, unfortunately, we've run out of time. I just want to make a, a quick comment to both of you. It relates to costing. Um, isn't time to discuss it, but I would like to put it back to you. Maybe, maybe Canadians and Americans should be considering a kind of free trade area in generic drugs. That might be good for everybody. I'll, we'll discuss that maybe at another time. Now, first of all, thank you to our listeners. Please do email us with comments and questions. Thank you to Mark and Bill for speaking to us in a way that draws on your knowledge and your experience and actually enables you to share insights and give advice to politicians, to family caregivers, and, and to uh, the citizens of both the countries. So keep up the good work because people like you are essential to the growth and the continuing stability of the healthcare system. Now in our next episode, we'll talk about training the brain, help for family caregivers, caring for mental health conditions. So please join us, same time, same spot, on the Internet. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being right.